You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. As we think about this week, there's a, a quote that I heard a long time ago from the theologian Karl Barth, and he said that um, a preacher should always work with a newspaper in one hand and a Bible in the other. And I've always wrestled with the idea that we somehow come to church and pretend like everything outside the walls is perfect and rosy. Uh, in my estimation, what we do on a Sunday morning, whether that was uh, together in person or whether that's uh, together in this new and unique way, I'll, I think that the gospel always speaks to what we experience in the world. And as I've reflected and thought about that for this week, uh, it, it's reminded me that some time back people said that we are living in a, in a post-racial society, a, a time when um, racism is something that is in the past. And I'm sure that you, like me, realize that as much as we may have wanted or hoped that to be true or, or pretended that it was, it's just not the case. What we have seen in the last few weeks is that racism is still alive and apparently thriving. And it's just that many of us have been able or conveniently overlooked it. So every organization and, and every group from, from fast food restaurants to um, to individuals, every email that I get in my inbox uh, that's usually a newsletter of an announcement has spoken to what's happening in the world. And I'm thankful for that. And perhaps the question that, that you're thinking about and that I was wrestling with this week is, how do we as a church respond? What do we do next? And for me, I've always found that following through with the life of the church and looking at kind of the scriptures that are already outlaid have been a helpful guide. Um, so as we begin to think about how we move into a new day, I want to mention to you that today is actually Trinity Sunday. Today's Trinity Sunday. And maybe you knew that and you came from perhaps a more Catholic or Episcopalian or, or kind of high Methodist background. Um, but the church follows a calendar throughout the year. Uh, and that calendar you know because you know Christmas and you know Easter. Well, the church for the last thousands of years or so has, has followed a cycle that basically takes us through the life of Jesus every cycle through the year. And so while we marked Easter and the weeks that followed that, and then we marked the ascension the other week when Jesus ascended back into heaven, today has historically been Trinity Sunday. And perhaps you're thinking to yourself, the Trinity has always been confusing. God is three and one and one and three. I mean, mathematics doesn't have a lot to explain to us about that. Even Common Core, right, can't fix that one. And so for many people, I realize that this idea of the Trinity, that God is three and one, is confusing. And so our response at times can be quite simply to disregard it. And to say, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. I'll just, you know, connect with Jesus. And I know that the Spirit's there. And I know that God the Father is also there too. Some people will just ignore it and say it's not really relevant for daily life. The Trinity doesn't really impact my day-to-day -day faith as an individual. And so I won't pay much attention to that. But my hope is, is that we can accept it. Because especially on today and what's happening in the world right now, I believe that the Trinity is incredibly relevant. And understanding how God is three in one, is triune, can help us as we understand a way forward and how God responds to all that's happening in the world today. 
And so I want to dig into that this week because the idea of the Trinity, yes, it is a mystery. The brightest minds in the history of the Christian faith have never fully or adequately been able to explain how this works. We've come close and we've offered examples, and perhaps you know some of those too. But at some point, even our best metaphors begin to break down. That's okay. It's okay that God is mysterious and that there's parts of God that we can't fully know as humans. But this idea of the Trinity is core to our belief. It's foundational to the creeds and to the things that we believe, and it's relevant for our daily living. So this morning, the scripture that I want us to focus on comes from Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16 through 20. It's the Great Commission, uh, and reading it with us this morning is Jennifer and Bella Bridges. So take a listen to our scripture. Hi, I'm Jennifer Bridges. Hi, I'm Bella, and we're so excited to be sharing the scripture with you today. I'm going to be reading from Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came near and spoke to them. I've received all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. 1 Corinthians 10, 17. Since there is one loaf of bread, we who are many are one body, because we all share the one loaf of bread. Well, thank you, uh, Jennifer and Bella, for sharing our scripture for today, uh, also for talking about 1 Corinthians, which we'll come to in just a moment. And the thing that struck me about this passage, which I have read so many times and, and thought about most often as a call to go and to share the good news with others, I saw something there that I, I didn't see before, and something fresh caught my eye. I noticed that the disciples were listening. Right? Did you notice that we actually don't hear from the disciples at all in this encounter. They're there, and the scripture here tells us that they're there, but the words that we're hearing are from Jesus. They don't speak any words. They just simply listen to Jesus. And in this moment, their role is not to speak. Their role is to listen and to take in and to obey. In the past, the disciples have uh, gotten in trouble when they have centered themselves. Perhaps that's a word that you've heard this past week, the idea of whose voice is being centered. And because of a lot of dynamics, it's oftentimes that, um, that the white voice has been centered in these kind of conversations. And, and one of the challenges right now is how we allow other voices to take the center place. In the past for the disciples, they have often spoken up when Jesus was talking. They have often acted out when Jesus was trying to get them to act in one way. They have often not listened as Jesus was speaking or teaching or talking or doing something. And, and so we've got countless stories in the Bible where the disciples, usually Peter, jumps in at the wrong moment or, or says the wrong thing, or Jesus is trying to take the disciples one way and he takes them another. And the disciples center their own voice instead of allowing the voice of God to be the voice that's being heard. And I've got to say, I'm proud of the disciples in this moment. I'm proud of them because they're getting it. You know, they're, they're understanding the way of Jesus. 
Because in this powerful moment where Jesus is commissioning them to go into all nations and to share the good news, they're listening. They're not explaining to Jesus what he, they think he means or, or adding their own commentary or footnotes about what that means and looks like. They're just listening and they're just being present. We might make a correlation this week with their posture of listening to how it's important for um, uh, individuals to, to be quiet in order to allow the voices of, of those in particular in the black community to, to speak up and to share their experience and to not, um, as often is the case, to try to overpower that. The disciples were listening and they were understanding and they were trying to find ways to act. And what they're doing is they're learning the way of God and they're learning the way of Trinity. Now, one of my favorite ways of understanding the mystery and the complexity of the Trinity comes from a Russian painter by the name of Andrei Rublev. And, and he painted this particular painting, and it's one of the, the highlights from the medieval times of this iconography. And, and as I've shared this picture before, it's, the idea here represents the, the three persons of God, the, the Father, as we might say, or the Creator, the Jesus, the Redeemer, and the Spirit, the Sustainer. And there's a lot to talk about in here, but as I looked at that with eyes for this week, I realized that this is, is a great example of, of medieval artwork, which oftentimes and always portrayed the saints or angels or God in a particular uh, Eurocentric view. And so I, I tried to search a little more broadly to find some things, and I, I stumbled onto an artist whose name I couldn't identify. Um, but the best name I found for it linked to this was Anna Kolinsk. And this is a modern painting of the same picture of Trinity, but it gives it to us in a different perspective and I think a helpful perspective. And so this morning, as we try to understand how God is three in one and, and, and what that means for us today and how that can help us, I've always believed that this painting can be a great source of inspiration for us. So I want to take us through a couple of parts of this painting. Now, the first thing that I always notice, if you notice how the heads are bent kind of towards each other, uh, it's not, for example, that we might think that they are sad. The reason for this is in that style of painting, a head that was bent indicated a, um, a, a kind of submission to the person to the side that they're leaning towards. So um, someone would lean towards someone who was greater than them. And what we see in this painting is that each person of God is leaning towards the other person of God. So this is understood as a mutual submission of God to one another, and so that one person isn't superior to the other. What this painting tells me is that even in the circle of community of God, that each person looks out for the needs of others. And by leaning in submission and in community and in connection to the other, what they're saying is that your life is important to me, and that whatever you need is important to me, and that if you are in pain, I want to lean in towards you and not just to myself and making sure that I have what I need. What a powerful image for us to think about that the God of the universe, creator, redeemer, sustainer, lean into each other to care for one another. It reminds us in this painting that God is diverse, that God is in community with God's self, and that God is welcoming. 
So we won't fully understand the Trinity by the end of today, and we might have more questions than we began with. That's okay. My hope is that as we begin to kind of talk through these different pieces, that we will get a better sense of how God is at work in our world and the God that we worship. And so I'd like to briefly talk about each of the three persons of God, and I want to begin with uh, God the Father. And that's the title that we most often use because we see revealed in the Old Testament where, where God is, is a father to the nation of Israel and where Jesus in the New Testament refers to God as Father. Uh, but let us also remember that that is not the only way that God is revealed, that the Psalms speak of the, the mothering nature of God. And so we might say that God as mother to us, God as divine parent to us would be a good way to do that. I think oftentimes we've gotten stuck, in, stuck on the gender roles and we, we forget that God, the creator of the world, uh, is not ascribed to gender, even though in Scripture sometimes that's said of God. It's helpful for us to see God as the creator of everything, that when God created the world, as we saw in Genesis, that it wasn't just God and then Jesus and the Spirit were made later. In Genesis, we can see where all three persons were together and participating in this act. And what we see is that when God created humanity, God created individuals who were unique and diverse and had special gifts and unique purposes in life. And what we see in this creation, just by simply looking around at all the individuals in the world, and, and I'm looking out the windows here at our space, all the diversity of God's creation, we can see that in God, that we serve a God who is diverse. Uh, Richard Rohr, in his book, The Divine Dance, offers this. Goodness isn't sameness. Goodness, to be goodness, needs contrast and tension, not perfect uniformity. And what Richard Rohr is, is pointing to here is that when God created all things, as you probably remember from the first book of first chapter of Genesis, that God said that it was good. And when God created humanity in God's own image, God said, this is supremely good. And what we see here in this quote is that goodness doesn't mean everything is exactly the same or that elevates one individual over another. That for goodness to be goodness, it must be contrast. And, and that we find goodness not in uniformity, but in the fullest expression of the uniqueness of who God made us to be. <laughs> so is the Trinity relevant to daily life? I, I would say at this point, we can see that the way God created the world was in a way of seeing all the different personalities and perspective of God. And so the question I think is good for us to chew on is, why then are we so afraid of differences when differences lie at the very heart of God? This is relevant to our daily lives. And shift gears to the second person of the Trinity. It's not a hierarchy, it's just in the process of revelation, we meet the person of Jesus Christ who was present from creation and from before time uh, and is revealed to us in the person. And another name for that is the Redeemer. So we, we see the Creator in God, and now we see the Redeemer in God. And of course, Jesus is God made flesh, walking the earth to show the face of God to humanity. And as we think about this on this particular week, I, I want to offer to us the question for reflection, 
of who did Jesus most engage? And as I've seen on social media this week and also tried to to give myself some distance from social media this week, uh, one of the things that I've seen pop up in just maybe the last two days is a, is a quote or a meme, if you will, that says, uh, Jesus, I'm paraphrasing, Jesus settled the, the debate 2,000 years ago when he died for all. And I think maybe you hear the coded language in that, that by Jesus dying 2,000 years ago for all, as the scriptures say, that what they mean by that, I believe, is that we should just be saying all lives matter. That's the debate that Jesus settled. And my struggle with that is it places Jesus as the Redeemer as a neutral individual. And by that, it makes God neutral to what's happening in the world. And as I look at the Scriptures, and I look in particular at the New Testament, what I find is that Jesus wasn't neutral. <laughs> I think people would have liked for him to be, have been maybe more neutral. Um, but what I see is that, that Jesus crossed some of the boundaries that we would like for faith and religion to uphold. We would like for religion and politics to stay separate because those don't make good dinner conversation. But when I think about the life of Jesus, what I see is that Jesus did engage the political systems of his day. And perhaps you're saying, well, no, he engaged the religious leaders of the day. Exactly. In those times and in that day, the, the, the people of God of Israel were always understood to be ruled by God. There were kings and, and individuals put in place, and they was understood as God speaking through them. And so the religious leaders, the priests and the Levites and all those, they were not just religious figures, they were political figures. This is how the world operated back then. And so when Jesus would stand up to or challenge the religious leaders, he was taking a political side. He wasn't remaining neutral. And when we find that Jesus was in the temple and and turning over the tables because he was so upset that they turned the house of prayer into a den of thieves. We find that Jesus is making a protest in a space against the political rulers of that time. And so what we find in Scripture is that Jesus wasn't neutral. Most often he would engage those who society had labeled as least or last as those who they would say were others, those whom society called impure. And God in Jesus didn't just stand on the side and say, okay, I see that side over there, and I see that side over there, and I see one side putting systems in place to oppress this side, but I remain neutral in all this and, and hope it works out. When individuals, humanity whom God created, would take sides and oppress another, Jesus would move to that side and would be present with that person and would speak and act in ways that challenged the status quo. And, and so as I understand how God redeems, God doesn't redeem by staying neutral and out of things. God redeems by getting into the mix and being present with humanity and saying, you have oppressed these or I stand with you. And this is the reality that we see in Jesus, this is what it looks like when God becomes flesh. So perhaps it's hard for us to, 
not see how Jesus is relevant. As we could say it another way, that of course Jesus is relevant to today. The third way that we experience the persons of God is through the Holy Spirit. Um, I did a sermon series last year about the Holy Spirit and talked about how um, the Spirit is oftentimes the one who gets left out. Uh, The Spirit is that little nudge to pray for someone that we experience throughout the day. The Spirit is the peace that surrounds us as we go into surgery. The Spirit is the one who unites us together when, by all accounts, we would just silo up and gather in our little huddles and our little cliques with people who are just like us. The Spirit is the one who pushes us into relationship with others and unites us together on common ground. The Spirit is the one who gathers the community of faith together and unites us and connects us and brings us into relationship with other. The Spirit, as we share communion together later, is the one who is present with us as Jesus is also present too. And the scripture that that Bella read for us from 1 Corinthians 7, I'll put it back up here on the screen, says, Since there is one loaf of bread, we who are many are one body because we all share the one loaf of bread. Now, if we were together and um, the coronavirus wasn't happening and we weren't social distancing, what we would do is we would take our common loaf together and and we would break it as a reminder of the life of Jesus broken for us. And we would take pieces of that bread and, and share it with one another. And I'm always reminded we don't take that bread for ourselves. It's given to us. And so we receive the gift of God. And what we're reminded here in 1 Corinthians is that there is one loaf of bread. There is one body. There is one humanity that God made in God's image. And God said, that's good. That's really good. In all of its diversity, that's, that's excellent. And that we are one body sharing together the one loaf. And the Holy Spirit is the one who is able to unite us in our differences and push us into a new day together. Now, I think I've also heard in the, in the week two, uh, maybe a feeling, and, and I can admit that I have felt this myself, a desire uh, to say, well, how do, we, how do we repair the divide? And what I hear in myself as I say, how do we repair the divide is, how do we get back, how do I get back to a status quo that for me was comfortable. Now, I'm a white male, and so I hear in that statement a desire of myself to just smooth everything out so that I can go back to living my life as it was. And what I don't hear in my own statement in that is, how do I recognize that and move forward into a new day that doesn't make me comfortable, but allows someone else to experience perhaps that comfort too, right? How do we move into a new day together? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Moving us as a community of faith, as the church, as the people of God, as humanity, into a new day together. The Spirit's also the same one who reveals our biases and our prejudices and calls us to repent. Uh, That's one of the reasons that uh, I started this book study. Uh, Thankfully, I I mentioned the book last week about white fragility and Several of you said, well, that sounds like a great opportunity for a book study together. Um, So I'm thankful for those voices and for the way that we could turn that into a study. And I want us to study that book about white fragility, even though it kind of centers the white voice for a moment, because I believe it's going to help us to understand our bias and prejudice in a helpful way forward. 
I see that as the Spirit's work in me, and I hope in you too. So the idea of the Trinity is that the Trinity is an invitation to divine community together. I'll take us back one more time to this uh, painting because I've always loved, and I've shared this before, and apologize if you heard it before, but if you notice, it's a four-sided table with three people. And Steve Siemens in his book about the Trinity says that's because it's an invitation for you to pull up a chair into the personhood of God. We don't become gods, of course. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's an invitation into relationship within community. And so in communion, we open up the table to one another. We're all are welcomed. And in the Trinity, it matters to us because the Trinity is opening up the table and inviting us to come and to learn the ways of God, to learn how God is diverse and how God is not neutral and how God is in the business of bringing us together. And so as we think about that great commission that Jesus gave to the disciples and to us and to you and me, it's an invitation to listen to, to pray for, and to be in ministry with to listen to, to pray for, and to be in ministry with one another. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.